This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. If you'd like to support Hiking Through Life, you can go to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have t-shirts, water bottles, and we recently added stickers to the shop. Use the code podcast at checkout and receive 10% off your first order. There are other ways you can support this podcast as well. You can check those out at hikingthroughlife.net slash support. Also, be sure to sign up for our email list. You can do that by heading over to hikingthroughlife.net. Enter your email address and click subscribe. There's no commitment. You can unsubscribe at any time. As part of our email list, you'll receive our monthly newsletter. We'll also be sending out any promotional codes for Hiking Through Life gear. It's an excellent way to follow Hiking Through Life's journey. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we have Liz Thames on the podcast, better known as Mrs. Frugal Woods. Liz is the blogger behind the blog and social media account Frugal Woods. She lives in rural Vermont on 60 acres with her husband and two girls. The family is soaking up the homestead lifestyle and frugality. Her book, Meet the Frugal Woods, shares her story on the journey to financial independence. Welcome to our podcast, Liz. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I first read your book a couple of years ago, and it just like really spoke to me just about the whole frugal lifestyle. Like my husband and I live fairly frugally, not as frugally as you, but I love getting tips from you. And just how being outdoors really makes you come alive. Um, But before your whole frugal life, you were living your nine to five life. Um, Can you kind of talk about that and what led you to have this frugal lifestyle? My husband and I were living in Cambridge, which is a really urban area right outside of Boston. And before that, we had lived in Washington, D.C. and New York City. So we had really done the big city thing. And we were getting close to 30. I think we were 28 when we sat down and realized, you know, we are working in offices under fluorescent lights for almost all of the week, right? So it's, you're working Monday through Friday, then we're working in the evenings. We're paying a premium to live in the city. And what we really like doing is hiking and being in the woods and being outdoors and spending time together and a slower pace of life. So why are we living in these cities? And this was a a real reckoning for us because we had our dream jobs 
these were the jobs that 10 years before we'd sat down and said, you know, this is really what I want to be doing when I'm an adult. And now we're adults, we're here, we've made all these choices. Um, and we realized we just, we needed to shift. We needed to make a change in how we lived and where we lived. So we started saving as much money as we possibly could. We both had great jobs, great salaries. And so it's, you know, the very easy financial math is the more you make, the more you can save, the less you spend, the more you can save, the less you can live on, the less money you need to have saved up. So we started saving as much as we possibly could and working towards this goal of leaving the city and moving to rural Vermont. And we moved to our homestead in May, 2016. And as you mentioned, it's 66 acres and we are able to be outside all the time and we love it. And interestingly, we decided to both continue working computer jobs because we like the balance. You know, we love to be outside. Um, you know, my husband chops down trees. So he's out there, you know, doing forestry work and splitting wood. And then I'm out there in the garden and then we come inside and, He's a programmer and I'm a writer. And so we have our, you know, kind of like quiet, introverted um, time on the computer juxtaposed with this incredible amount of time outside. So it's, we really have created a, a balance that works for us and that puts our priorities at the forefront. Yeah. And like, I love that it's just like this balance of what you guys love to do. And I think through, especially through COVID, um, I mean, we've been quarantined ourselves before our baby, we quarantined for a whole month and now we're quarantined with our newborn baby. And like, we're just really like learning this whole balance of our little own mini homestead life too. Like we don't live on 60 acres, but just like, going through the motions of each day. And it's just kind of this rhythm each day where you can switch up your activities and your hobbies throughout, throughout your, your home and your day and just make it what you love. And it's so clear that you guys have done that through, through the years and through your frugality. Why Vermont though? I mean, was there a reason you wanted that or were there other options? Vermont was top of mind for us when we started our research for a couple reasons. We've been living on the East Coast and in New England for a while now. We, we both moved here when we were, oh my gosh, I guess 23 and we're now 36 or 37, somewhere around there. So, we've been on the, <laughs> you know, we're just getting up late thirties. So we've been on the East Coast for a long time. We really enjoy the climate. We love the cold. So interestingly, I am from San Diego, California, and my husband is from Miami, Florida, and neither of us can stand the heat, like cannot abide the heat. So we both, I don't, I don't know how this happened. So like a reverse, a, some sort of reversal of um, what we were raised with. We love the snow. We really like all four seasons to both of us. It just feels very wrong if you don't have like a snowy Thanksgiving and like a frozen Christmas. Like it's just, it's just improper. So we very much wanted a place that has four articulated seasons. 
we love the beauty and the terrain of the Northeast. You know, we love sort of the mountainous area and the heavy tree cover, the hardwood, the softwood, you know, that was really the kind of forest that we wanted to be in. That's what we love to hike in. We hiked a lot in the Shenandoahs, you know, down in the Washington DC area when we lived there. And that's beautiful. I like that, but it's too hot. Like I cannot, the summers, no way. Um, we went to school in Kansas, which is very rural, but for anyone who's been to Kansas, they're just nodding their heads. It's very flat. It's kind of just like this um, sort of like bare dirt that just goes on forever. It's not quite that bad, but it's, it is not uh, a tree filled rural experience usually. And it's just kind of a different type of farming than what we wanted to do. And other parts of the country just sort of didn't line up with these criteria that we had. And so Vermont really rose to the top. Um, also for, it's a very progressive state and it's a state that prioritizes a lot of the things that matter to us. So education, um, healthcare, making sure that the environment is well cared for. It's a state that takes the stewardship of the land very seriously and that takes a progressive agenda very seriously and really makes it manifest in local communities. So that was another element. We were also living in Massachusetts at the time. And so it's just a three hour drive from Boston to where we live. And so it was very easy for us to house hunt. <laughs> so we would come up here. Um, we sort of did house hunting on and off for about three years with you know varying levels of intensity, but it is very nice to be able to be on the ground and to see a lot of different properties. You know, especially when you're looking at buying such a large parcel of land, it really helps if you have that list of comparisons in your head, because it's unlike in the city, you can't just go and look at five identical farms. Like you can look at five identical condos in a day. It just doesn't exist. So that wasn't the proximity to where we were living was another reason, but I'm a huge Vermont evangelist. So I'll, I'll try to convince anybody that Vermont is the place to be. Yeah. I've only been there once. Like last summer we drove through there and spent a couple of days there, but I would go back in a heartbeat. I mean, it looks amazing in the fall. It seems like the fall colors there are to die for. They're like that here in Minnesota too, but we don't have the mountains to look at, unfortunately. But you do have good cold weather. We do. It's actually snowing right now. Is it really? It oh. is. It snowed this weekend too. And tomorrow it's supposed to be like one of the big snowstorms they're saying. Oh my goodness. You're ahead of us then. Cause we just had one little dusting over the weekend and it melted right away. So yeah, right now it's, yeah, it's landing on the ground and melting right away too, but it's been consistent for a couple hours now, but yeah, that's the great thing about Minnesota too. They, we do have all the seasons like you guys are talking about. And yeah, I couldn't imagine living in like heat all the time either. It's not, it's just not proper. Yeah. So, I mean, for people who don't know what homesteading is, can you kind of explain that term and what your lifestyle is like out there? I think everyone has a different definition of homesteading. So I, I wouldn't want to say that I am, you know, the one true way to homestead because what we do is like a very sort of casual part-time situation that, um, you know, I think the first thing to realize we do not make any money from our quote unquote farm or homestead. And for anybody who's considering that lifestyle, it is very difficult 
to turn a profit from land. So, you know, you can sort of, you can go niche, you can do a very specific sort of artisanal product, or you can go huge, you know, you can run a huge head of huge head of cattle. You can have, you know, thousands of acres, but it's, it's very difficult. You know, people will often say things like, oh, well, why don't you sell your vegetables? Okay. But everybody else in my town does that. Everybody in my town has it. And you know, the, the amount that you'd have to charge in order to turn a profit, you know, I'd be trying to sell you like a $20 tomato. So I think, you know, it's something that I always caution people when they hear that I write about money and live on a farm, the farm is a hobby, you know, it, it's not an easy way to make money. It's not a passive income stream. You know, there are a lot of things that you can do. And most of my friends up here who make money from their land, they do it through diversification. So they have an Airbnb property. They usually have an online component to their business. They have, um, a very niche market. So maybe they sell specifically to restaurants. So high-end beef to restaurants or something like that. So this is kind of my cautionary, you know, don't move to a farm and think you're going to make money selling vegetables because you're not, or very few people do. It's very hard to do that. And so we do a vegetable garden for ourselves and we do um, canning and preserving of those vegetables. So we'll do tomatoes, cucumbers, ground cherries, peppers. Um, we've done kale, char. I saw you tried watermelon this year, but that didn't it did work. not right? pan out. I think I'm giving up on the watermelon. They were like the size of a softball and my kids were just heartbroken. They, and they, oh, they tasted terrible, but pumpkins worked really well. So every year we kind of try different things And the pumpkins. I think I'm going to double down on pumpkins because they, I want things that like want to grow here versus trying to fight with them because it's cold here. And like, if, listen, if you don't want to grow here, I'm not planting you. So that's kind of our big vegetable garden. And then we have a smaller kitchen garden up by the house that has our salads. So I do a bunch of salad greens, herbs, carrots, stuff like that, that we can kind of pull out for dinner every night. And then we have uh, perennial food beds. So we have a really big blueberry bed that we put in a couple years ago, we have tons of blackberries and then we have apple trees, plum trees and cherry bushes. So we kind of are trying to build out that perennial food element with the stuff that wants to grow here. And, you know, things like apples are, are so much fun because there, there's so much that you can do with them. So we make cider, applesauce, dried apples. Um, and then the plums, uh, I think I've eaten one plum off the trees in like the four years we've been here because there's some varmint that comes and eats every single plum, like right before I'm going to harvest it. So I don't know, I don't know which animal it is, but they get all my plums. So this is another reason why it would be hard to make money because you can't, it's, it's very difficult without, um, you know, we grow all organically. And so without pesticides, like there's a lot of pests. So that's the, the food side of what we do. And then my husband has built hiking trails on our land. So a big piece of wanting to be here was the ability to step out our front door and hike. And that is such a gift every day, both for me, for my husband, my husband, and I each try to hike by ourselves every single day, because having that time alone, you know, when you're home with two kids or to any number of kids to get out in the woods in silence is absolutely transformative for our mental health, our physical health. So I hike in the mornings, he hikes in the evenings. And it's like this very sacred band of 
parent alone time. That's but then amazing. we've also, yeah, you know, we've got our, our girls hiking. Like the two-year-old is like, she can really truck it, you know, and it's just like doing it every day. And my four-year-old is like a little bit whinier about it, but she'll do it. So we do just being able to be in nature with our kids without, without needing to think about it, without needing to orchestrate like a trip to a farm or to the woods. That to me is just, is the biggest gift of living here. Um, and then we also heat our home with the wood from our land. So, you know, it's heavily, heavily forested. So my husband does very careful, selective cutting to manage our forest. So taking trees that are dead, trees that are dying or trees that are um, endangered, endangered in terms of having a pest pressure coming through. So we take those trees and he chops them down, skids them with the tractor, bucks and splits and stacks the wood. And then we also make maple sugar. And that's maybe my favorite thing that we do. Most people call it maple syrup, but here in Vermont, it's sugar. So we, we tap our maple yes. trees and we have an evaporator and we boil it down. And that's another thing where people say, oh, you should tell your maple Yeah, syrup. I remember when we were in Vermont, like every, there was stands everywhere. Exactly. There's stands everywhere. <laughs> Here's another thing, you know, if you had an online market for that, or if you were doing wholesale, you could probably make money. But at the, the rate that we do it, you know, there's, there's no profit in it, but we absolutely love doing it. So we make enough for our own usage. And that um, is really fun because you do that in the spring when it's just starting to thaw and you're just coming out of winter a little bit. So even though you're not selling these things is there like a big like barter and trade system where you live there is I for the most part don't actually trade the the foods that we make because it takes so much time and energy that each jar of syrup is like gold to us because it takes I mean you know it's like 10 hours per gallon and that's just on the day of that doesn't count like tapping the trees Sighting the trees, moving the tanks around, getting the evaporator, not to mention we have to harvest all the wood to burn, to boil it down. I mean, this is, this is labor of love. This is not, you know, there's no efficiency here. So Yeah, and all the wood, if that's how you heat your house, your husband must be chopping wood every single day. Um, he does it a lot and he loves it, you know, and that's kind of the, the piece of it is that if you don't love it, it, it's not, it wouldn't be worth it. So we really enjoy it. But no, I can't give away my, my syrup because those are like my, my children. Um, but we do, we, we are in a very um, close knit community that depends on each other a lot. And I think it's because there's not very many people here and there are no stores in town and there are no retail establishments in town. And so, you know, you can drive 45 minutes to go to the store or you can call your neighbor and say, you know, do you have, I think somebody asked me for an avocado the other day. I was like, you just need one avocado. She's like, yes, I'm making guacamole. I just need one more avocado. It's like, I have that. <laughs> So knowing that you really can rely on your neighbors um, and having intergenerational friendships, having people who in the non in non-pandemic times are happy to watch our kids and really feeling like we can have an impact on our community is a, a wonderful aspect of small town rural life. Yeah. And I remember reading or hearing that in your town, you guys do a lot of potlucks for like, whether it's like a social gathering or a wedding, but yeah, just being able to have a potluck with that little community is such a gift in itself. You probably know your neighbors pretty well too. 
Yes. And it's so interesting because people often ask if it feels isolating to live out here or if we feel lonely. And it's absolutely not because we have all these friends that we've been able to to build really deep friendships with because we don't just do fun stuff together. We also work together. So, you know, we help somebody take a water heater out of somebody else's basement and put it in someone else's basement. We once moved a wood stove up a hill for someone, you know, it's, you really come together on projects that need to be done. And I find when you do sort of the hard things together, you, you build a truer relationship, a deeper relationship. So we, we feel lucky that we're part of that kind of community. Absolutely. And I know in other podcasts, you've also mentioned how living in a rural area isn't as cheap as someone might necessarily think it is because you have to drive everywhere. And a lot of the times you've written about how you like to grab like free things off the street. Well, when you live in a small town, grabbing free things off the street and off people's driveways might not be as easy to come about. Cause I know like my husband and I grab free things off driveways all the time, but we're in a, in a city where that's pretty easy to come about. So what other things make it hard to live in a rural area and be frugal? Well, actually we have a really robust free thing economy, which I did not anticipate before I moved here. I was like, Oh no, I'm never going to find anything, but people, I get tons of stuff at the end of driveways and um, our town listserv is really great for swapping things for free. And we have a really good garage sale game out here, like pretty incredible because people have barns where they store all this stuff. And then when they want to sell it, they like bring it all out in their field. So we have, we have a good secondhand market. So do not fear, do not fear the rural secondhand. It is, it is here. So what I mostly find to be more expensive, um, groceries are actually more expensive here than they were in the city. There is much less competition here. And so the impetus to lower prices is not really there. You know, in Boston, you've got all these different grocery chains that are essentially competing with each other. Whereas out here, you know, you have maybe one or two grocery stores. So they have a much different approach to pricing and um, driving is much more a daily reality than it was in the city when we could walk places, we could take public transit. You know, my husband biked to work every day. That's, you're not biking anywhere here. And then um, if you want to do any kind of homesteading or farming, the equipment startup cost is pretty tremendous. And so we've gotten most of our things used, but you know, even a used chainsaw is a couple hundred bucks, for example. And so you know, you kind of need to think through the types of equipment that you're going to need and you can get some of it used. One thing we found is that people tend to hold on to their equipment. So it's like buying a used plow, for example, took us a lot longer than we thought it would because nobody's selling their plow. Um, so, it, you know, kind of recalibrating your approach to what you think your budget might be was, was really important because, you know, in the city, you don't need to own that much stuff. We just didn't own them. We didn't even own like a shovel or a rake because we didn't have any land in the city. Like, so it's interesting because, you know, housing on the face of it might look cheaper rurally, but then you have to remember that usually you are solely responsible for your systems. So your septic system, your well, your heating, 
you know, there's, there's no such thing as like a town sewer out here, right? So, you know, if your well pump goes, you're the one paying for that or you don't have any water. And so I think having an awareness of those systems ahead of time is really helpful because you might think, oh, that, you know, my mortgage is going to be so much cheaper. Well, maybe it is, but you need to factor in having your septic system pumped, you know, installing a generator if you don't want to be without power for a week. And so th there's a lot to think about that I think doesn't meet the eye. You know, it looks cheaper to live. Oh, we'll grow your own food. Well, yes, but the startup cost and then the amount of time that that actually takes um, is pretty tremendous. So it was a lot cheaper for us when we lived in a Brooklyn apartment, right? We didn't own a car, walked everywhere, took the subway. We owned very little stuff. And then when you sort of own everything on your land, it gets a lot more expensive. So based on your lifestyle, like in your apartments, like in New York or Boston, do you think you're, so you're saying you were spending more money now than you were then, even when you guys were like going out, grabbing drinks, going to restaurants? Yes. And you know, a piece of it is that we were always fairly frugal. So my husband and I were not really going out that much. We ate out some, but we had this sort of frugal bend to us. The other thing about cities is that there's a lot of efficiency. There are so many free things. There are so many discounted things um, and entertainment that you can walk to or walk past or just enjoy a street fair or something like that. And so it's, um, I've, I've written a lot about this on the blog and I did a post that talked about comparing our last year living in the city and our first year living rurally and, and what the costs were. And I broke that down and it's, it's mostly just to dispel the myth that it's cheaper to live rurally. I think that over time, it could be cheaper to live rurally, right? So like over decades, you own your truck, you own your tractor, you own your plow and your chainsaw. Um, you know, let's say you pay off your property, I think, yes, it could eventually be cheaper, but you know, the, the embodied costs of ownership are fairly high. And so, you know, owning a car, for example, it's not just the, the cost of buying that car, but it's the maintenance, the insurance, the taxes and registration. So um, keeping that in mind is another crucial piece. Yeah. Yeah. All the upkeep of everything and the equipment. I mean, thinking about gardening equipment alone I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of it that you can find for free too, but gardening equipment alone can add up pretty quickly. Um, and how about your girls? How has like your frugal lifestyle and homesteading lifestyle affected your girls? You seem to let them just be a huge part of gardening and playing and you guys just get outside a lot. And it's so clear that they're so involved in, in the lifestyle. Yes. I, you know, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, almost five-year-old. And so it's, I can only speak from that perspective. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like in 10 years and 15 years. They're probably going to hate it as teenagers, but I feel like that's like a very good life experience for them if they hate it. So far it is bliss. I, I, I love raising them out here because they're able to be outside with us all the time. They're able to be in nature. We go on these nature hikes and I just let them trailblaze through the woods and I, they get to choose the path. And then we stop and explore a stream for 25 minutes we have to pick up every rock, touch all the moss. And I'm just like, I'm going to die of boredom, but they are able to have the freedom to be immersed in nature 
anytime they want for as long as they want. And I just feel it's a profound gift. They are able to play outside alone in our yard because of the layout. I can see them from the house and they have so much more freedom and responsibility here than I would ever be able to give them in the city. So, you know, they take out the compost bucket, they weed the garden, they harvest the tomatoes. They also like pull the plant right out of the ground, but they're able, I'm able to let them do so much more because we have the time and the space. And so a lot of frugality for me is deciding if I'm using my time and my money for my highest and best priorities. So people hear frugality and think, oh, this is about saving money. You know, this is about being cheap. But for me, it's about having a values-based spending mindset, spending money, spending time, on only what matters the most to you. Because when you have kids, you don't have a whole lot of time. And what my husband and I have done is really pare down our daily routine, pare down our lifestyle to only include the things that are most important to us. And there's a lot that we don't do. So you've been chasing me by email for months because I'm very slow on email because I don't spend a lot of time on my computer, right? And so making these conscious choices every day to really like fail at some stuff like email in order to allow us to hike every day, to be outside with our kids every day. And, and so that was a big mindset reversal when we moved here from the city. You know, we really wanted to let go of that rat race mentality and move into this slower, more intentional pace of life. And it's been wonderful so far for our kids. You know, they're not hurried. They're not rushed. We're not trying to hustle them along to the next activity because the next activity is just walking over to that mountain of dirt over there so that they can dig in it, you know, and really letting them kind of guide the experiences that they want to have. And my four and a half year old now stacks wood, you know, she goes out there, gets the wood out of the tractor bucket and stacks it with my husband. And, you know, it's, we're not forcing her to do these chores, but they want to be parts of community, you know, little kids, they just want so badly to do real jobs. You know, this as a teacher, all they want is to be real big people. Absolutely. They, they want to feel important. They want to be a part of it. They want to, they want to mimic what adults are doing. Exactly. And so we try to the extent possible to let them do that stuff. So to let them cook with us, to let them wash the dishes, load the dishwasher, um, fold the laundry that has some very interesting results, stack wood, you know, and this is not a homesteading thing. You don't need to be rural in order to do this for us. It's much more, um, letting go of a lot of the, the city pressure and city expectation that we carried around with us of all the things that we should do and finding a way to do the things we want to do. And I think, you know, and the pandemic has been tough for us because we did have school and childcare part-time uh, before the pandemic. Raisins, um, more raisins. You want more raisins. And now, as you can hear, we do not have school and childcare. So for us, it's been a question of simplifying even further, really letting go of perfect and trying to find a way to continue living, you know, to the best that we can with our kids with us at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the pandemic has tested a lot of families in that sense. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> totally get it. 
I think they did pretty well keeping themselves entertained for 45 minutes. <laughs> I know my, I haven't seen my four and a half year old. She's fine. She's like, no problem. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being able to slow down. And I love that you said you guys like just kind of don't go on your email every day. You just kind of live your lives as is and are very strategic about when you do go on that phone and that email. And that's like one reason we love getting out hiking and camping because we are like removed from that. Yet you guys just kind of do that every day. And it was for us, that was the release that hiking was. It was because we did it before we had kids when we were living in the city. So we were getting up, you know, we'd get up at like 4 a.m., drive out so we could summit before dark. And that was incredible because we didn't have our phones. You know, there was no cell reception. I think I read an article that you wrote like back in 2014 where you and your husband were mistaken for through hikers when you were in some grocery store. And it was like the best thing ever to be mistaken for a through hiker because that's just like the lifestyle you guys love. It was. I mean, the embarrassing thing is we hadn't even been hiking that day. So, you know, we were just living our lives. But I, uh, but yes, I think that that, you know, nature really gives us that opportunity. It forces us, right, to be present. And that helps so much with parenting to, to really have the presence. And it helps so much as an adult with discernment and with really knowing what we want to be doing. And so, you know, it's not like we're excellent about not picking up our phones and not looking at our email. It's a choice to try and do it less, I think. And so trying to kind of embody, I call it myself woods mama when I'm in the woods with my girls, because I'm like so Zen and chill. And then we get back in the house. I'm like, take off your shoes, you know, and it's, why am I doing that? It's because I'm suddenly imposing these pressures that I perceive of modern society within my own home that somehow I don't feel in the woods with them. And so how can I kind of bring that spirit of presence to everything I do? So work in progress, varying degrees of success. Right, right. Especially when like the kitchen just seems to be such a mess or whatever it may be, but it's all, it's all an experiment and learning for them. So what's like, what are some of the most frugal tips that you might share with some listeners, just like everyday frugal lifestyle tips. I know you've written about this a ton. So the first thing that I recommend people do, if you're not really thinking about your money, aren't really sure where to start is to start tracking your spending. This is the easiest, most straightforward thing you can do. Cause you don't need anybody else you can do it on your own. You're the one spending the money. Babe. I know a two-year-old is usually not part of the expense tracking. Okay. So tracking your spending means looking at every dollar you spend every month. So you can use free software. You can use a spreadsheet, pen and paper, whatever system is going to be best for you to know what you're spending, then understanding your income, understanding any debts that you have and any assets. So debts are things you owe, assets are things you own. Getting this full financial picture is really going to guide everything else you do. So before you worry too much about, you know, how much money you can save at the grocery store, how much money you could save by canceling this subscription, you know, really understand what your current savings percentage is. What's that difference between your spending and your income every month? 
where and how do you want to move the needle? You may find, you know what, actually, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable with where I'm at. Or you may realize, oh, I really need to put myself into a safer financial zone by saving up an emergency fund, right? By having a savings account that I can rely on. And I think um, something like the pandemic, something like this recession is a good wake up call for a lot of us that, oh, you know, these jobs that we thought were so stable or this freelance income that we felt was so stable may not be as stable as we anticipated. And so feeling enfranchised with your money is going to give you the confidence to weather this storm. So I have on my website, I have a couple free programs that people can follow. They don't usually have a two-year-old eating an apple in the background, but if they did, they would sound, this is genuine audio. I have an Uber Frugal Month program, which is 31 days. It's free and it's an email program that's designed to really take you through a lot of these steps I'm talking about, getting a handle on what's going on with your money and then how you can make good decisions moving forward. Another thing, if a month sounds too long, don't worry, I have a week. I have the Uber Frugal week, you can do that. And that is really pandemic specific because I was getting a lot of feedback that people were understandably getting pretty freaked out and did not want to do the 31 days. Okay. I get it. That was far too long. So you can do the seven days of the Uber frugal week, which is also free to really just start understanding where you're at financially and where it's going to be smartest for you to put your efforts. Perfect. And there's really, yeah, there's really no better time right now than the pandemic. I'm sure there's so many readers that have reached out to you on your blog, just trying to get suggestions and feedback on the situation. So what is your blog? Where can people find that and get in touch with you? Sure. So I am Frugal Woods everywhere you go. I live in the Frugal Woods. I am at frugalwoods.com. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, it's at Frugal Woods. And then my book is Meet the Frugal Woods. So you're, you're pretty good if you can just remember Frugal Woods. And that name, did that come before or after you moved to the homestead? Before that, it was sort of the aspirational idea when I started writing the blog in, gosh, in 2014. And it was, my husband actually came up with the name and I thought it was the stupidest name. I was like, that does not, nobody is going to like that. But turns out he was right. It's, it has worked really well because it's um, very fitting for the work that I do. Yeah. I just remember seeing the cover of it and just like I just loved the cover and that's what attracted me to reading it. I had never heard of it before, but I saw it on the shelf in the library and I was like, this looks like a great read. Just like two people on a hill overlooking mountains. I think there was a dog on the cover too. There's a dog and a baby. We just had one baby at the time. My, My second baby was born two weeks before the book published. So that was a wild, a wild time. Yeah, because you guys moved in to your place like I remember your book you were looking for all of the looking for the land with your little newborn baby Mm -hmm. wow what an adventure I think that we've covered a lot of things today and there's a lot more people can find on your blog frugal woods so people should definitely head on over there but thank you so much for coming on today oh thank you for having me
We've loved doing this podcasting journey. We love bringing awesome guests on. We love seeing that people are listening. And we're really, really grateful that this is hopefully inspiring other people to get outdoors. Yeah, and as part of our mission at Hiking Through Life, we really want to help support others in continuing their journey or starting their journey into the outdoors. So as part of that, we have plans for future episodes to address some listener feedback. So if you have questions about backpacking, hiking, adventuring outdoors, let us know. Email hikingthroughlife at gmail.com and submit us your question or topic and we'll possibly address it in a future episode. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.